0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Hello, I'm Blair Bathory, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. Thank you so much for being here, whether this is your first time or you're one of the brave souls who join us every week. Do you want to be part of Something Scary? We have so many ways for you to join us. The easiest way is to join our Patreon. For just $4.99 a month, you'll get access to our members-only Discord and a chance to talk to others who love scary things as much as you do. Second, treat yourself to a Something Scary cap to keep the sun away this summer, or maybe a cozy hoodie for when the night turns chilly. Go to somethingscary.com and check out our merch. As summer winds down to its end, people are desperate to get in their last-minute barbecues and trips to the beach, as if summer will never come again but some of us are careless, not realizing all the dangers that lurk when the weather is still warm. If we're lucky, we won't be aware of all the ghosts and desperate entities that are out just dying to get our attention before we disappear back inside for the winter. First, a haunting discovery, followed by a narrow escape, then a desperate plea Finally, in our featured story, Scared to Death. So, wanna hear something scary? Death Days of Summer. It's difficult to focus on the fun freedom of summer when you're constantly reminded of the evil that lurks in the corners of your world. Like in this story inspired by Caitlin, Ruby lived at home with her little sister, Imogen, and their father. It was summer break, and since her father was away at work during the day, it was Ruby's responsibility to watch over her. Although she loved her sister, she didn't love this summer job, but she would do anything to gain the approval of her father. One day, when Imogen was down for a nap, Ruby was writing in her journal piercing screams shattered the silence. Rushing to her sister's side, Ruby found her sitting upright with wide eyes. Imogen, are you okay? Are you having a nightmare? Ruby asked, concerned. Her sister didn't respond. Instead, she slowly raised her hand, placing it on her chest, and started shaking violently. Panicking, Ruby grabbed Imogen's shoulders and tried to wake her up. Imogen, wake up! But Imogen whispered, Don't you see it? Ruby froze. See what? There was nothing there. But as she followed her sister's gaze to the corner of the room, she gasped, terror gripping her. In the shadows stood the silhouette of a tall figure with long hair and glowing eyes. Watching them both, Ruby rushed to the window, and threw open the curtains, letting in the sunlight. To her relief, the figure was gone. Ruby, trying to protect her sister and not knowing what they saw, passed it off as a mere nightmare and kept her little sister by her side. That night, Ruby lay in bed, unable to sleep. The terrifying image of the lurking figure haunted her mind. She wrestled with the idea of telling her father about the ordeal, but dismissed it fearing that he might think she couldn't handle the babysitting duty, or worse, that she had lost her mind. As the days passed, the strange figure continued to manifest, appearing every time Imogen and Ruby were together during the day, desperate to keep her sister safe. Ruby tried taking Imogen outside to play more often, hoping the entity wouldn't follow them beyond the confines of the house. But no matter where they went, the figure lurked in the shadows, always watching. It didn't appear during the hours of darkness. Ruby knew because she would stay up until she collapsed from exhaustion. However, during the day, its presence seemed to intensify. Ruby's health began to deteriorate from the stress and sleepless nights, but she kept it from her little sister, convincing Imogen to not worry their father about her nightmares or the shadow person. One day, their father returned home early and found the girls missing from the house. Panic surged through him as he frantically searched for them. He finally discovered them at the park, looking visibly scared and distant. He demanded to know what had been happening. He pressed them for an explanation. Reluctantly, Ruby broke down and told her father everything, the eerie figure, its constant presence, and the lurking terror they faced every day Expecting her father to be alarmed or dismissive, she was surprised when he smiled gently. I think you know who it is, he said, his tone soothing and understanding. Ruby's anger flared at his calm reaction. How could he know about this terrible presence and not do anything about it? How could he not have warned her? It must be your mother, he continued. She made me a promise to never leave you girls, and I believe she's been looking out for you during the day. This revelation brought some comfort to Ruby and Imogen, if it was their mother watching over them. She meant them no harm. However, as the days passed, the ghostly presence remained absent. Ruby and Imogen couldn't help but feel disappointed now they had learned of its possible true identity. Their father insisted that their mother was still there, watching over them from afar, even if they could no longer see her. But she never returned. The house felt empty and devoid of the protective presence they now yearned for. As time went on, Ruby and Imogen realized that they had lost something beyond their mother's spirit. A connection to the unseen world, where the love of a lost mother resided. They couldn't help but wonder if their father had made up the comforting story to ease their fears. As Ruby and Imogen grew older, they still yearned for the haunting presence that had once terrified them. They longed to feel the embrace of a mother they barely knew, to know she was still there, watching over them from the shadows. Yet, no matter how much they searched or how desperate they became, their mother's ghostly presence never returned, if she had ever been there at all. Have you ever felt like you were being watched by an entity? Were you scared or did you welcome the company? Did you interact with it? If so, tell us your ghostly story by sending us an email at something scary at snarled.com Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well If you own a home you know how much work it can take whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality It can be hard just to know where to start but now all you need to do is Angie that Sometimes we forget just how primal our gut instinct can be. If something doesn't feel right, then we shouldn't ignore our intuition. As in this story written by Janine Pipe. Summer vacation is meant to be one of the happiest times of the year. No school, waking up late, the perfect excuse for cookouts and ice cream. Both my parents are teachers and every year we traveled around during the summer weeks. There were a lot of road trips in my childhood, lots of camping and sightseeing, and we loved it. Until the trip I turned 13 and witnessed something I'll never forget. By then, a lot of our friends were visiting Europe, but our parents felt there was enough to see in the U.S. before we needed to head abroad. Now, my brother Mikey and I were older. They had invested in an RV so we could sleep in the vehicle or pitch a tent for our room if we wanted They strive for a mix of fun activities as well as educational and historical. Being big baseball fans, we would try and find stadiums to catch games from major league all the way to A-teams. Sometimes we ended up in the middle of nowhere. It was super late when we pulled into the Fork River campsite. The reception building was closed up with just a sign indicating we were to park out back and someone would check our documents in the morning. It was super dark too, with only one other RV in the lot and a couple of station wagons with tents pitched next to them. But if the residents were awake, then no one seemed disturbed by our arrival. Our mom did incredibly well living with three males, but sometimes she wanted to take a shower and wash her hair in peace. So I found myself busting to use the bathroom and my dad suggesting instead of waiting, I head over to the toilet block. I've used all sorts of public restrooms before, and campsites aren't usually as bad as truck stops. It wasn't so much the look or the smell that bothered me. It was how dark it was and desolate. I did what I needed fast and was speed walking past the pitch tents when I froze in my tracks. The strangest noise was coming from inside the tent closest to me. Suddenly, the side of the material bulged as if a limb was pressing against it and I hot-footed it back to the RV. Dad and Mikey were playing poker and mom was now in her bedroom drying her hair. I didn't say anything. I wasn't even sure what to say. I just had this awful feeling something wasn't right. Thankfully, we had a tight schedule to keep and we're up and out of there nice and early. As we left, I noticed the tents and the other RV were still there, but one of the station wagons had gone and there was still no sign of any people. We spent the day exploring and caught an afternoon game of local baseball. As the storm started to roll in, Dad suggested we head back to the previous night's campsite instead of carrying on to the next one. No, I cried, making everyone jump in surprise. I managed to mumble something about how we should keep going and thankfully they agreed. It was pouring by the time we reached the next site and again completely dark, This time, not only was the reception office closed, but there was not a single other vehicle or person around. There was a sign again on the window, but it was too dark to read. As we went through into the lot, it was a ghost town. Let's just get some sleep, then head out first thing, said dad, not wanting to drive any further in the storm, but clearly feeling not totally at ease. We all stay in the vehicle, okay? I'm not sure any of us got that much sleep between the rain pelting down on the roof, the thunder rolling through the skies, and just the general sense that something was off. We all agreed to leave as soon as it was light. Mom was making a big pot of coffee as we drove past the reception area when suddenly dad jammed on the brakes. She was about to tell him off when she saw through the window why he stopped. The sign we'd seen last night wasn't in fact a note from the campsite. It was a police wanted poster. That's why the place was empty. Turns out, there was a serial killer on the loose. He'd been targeting campsites and preying on travelers. The first couple of victims had been made to look like a robbery gone bad. But after that, he just stuck to plain old murder. His victim of preference seemed to be lone campers killing them than stealing their cars and the latest had been a lady traveling on her own to see family across the country who just happened to be pitched up at Fork River. The dawning realization that I had witnessed a murder and we had spent the night with a serial killer hit me hard. I still think about that night and the poor lady in the tent but most of all I still think about how the guy had never been caught. What if he saw me? What if he knows our vehicle? And what happens if he tries to find me? Have you ever been somewhere that just didn't feel right? Did you listen to your intuition? Did anything happen that you found out about later?
1: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1,
0: is the thing you know in your heart is the right thing to do. Like in this story inspired by Arena. The beach resort buzzed under the summer sun as my family arrived for our vacation. I was a curious 11-year-old girl eager to explore the sandy shores and splash in the waves. While my parents unpacked and settled on the beach, I couldn't wait to dive into the sparkling waters. I excitedly donned my new goggles, hoping to catch a glimpse of the underwater world. A whale, maybe, or a stingray, at least. I swam around, watching the rocks and colorful fish below. I heard a distant voice calling my name. Marina. Startled, I looked around, but there was no one nearby. The voice was muffled under the water, but kind of sounded like a boy around my age but there was nobody in sight. Feeling uneasy, I swam up to the surface and removed my goggles. As I did, the voice stopped, but a strange sight caught my attention. Under the water, there was a shadowy figure of a boy, about 10 years old, standing on the seabed. He seemed to be holding something that glistened and sparkled like a precious crystal. Fear mingled with curiosity and against my better judgment, I took a deep breath and dove back into the depths, but I forgot to put on my goggles. As I swam closer to the boy, my heart pounded in my chest. The water around me seemed to grow darker as I approached him, and I could barely make out his face. His eyes glowed with an eerie light as did the mysterious crystal he was holding. Suddenly, I felt a strong grip around my ankle pulling me down panic surged through me as I struggled to break free, but the boy's hold was relentless. My attempts to swim back up to the surface were useless as he kept dragging me deeper and deeper. Suddenly, I pulled free, but not before I received painful scrapes from the boy's nails and bruises from the blunt rocks beneath. It was my dad who had seen me go under and not resurface and came looking. My parents scolded me for venturing too far and messing around in the water. They attributed my injuries to carelessness and warned me to be more respectful of the sea. That wasn't an issue. I was terrified by the encounter. I didn't want to set a foot in the water the rest of the vacation. However, my trauma didn't end there. As night fell and darkness shrouded the resort, I saw the figure of the boy standing in the corner of my room. His glowing eyes pierced through the darkness, fixated on me. He looked desperate, almost pleading for something. I tried to scream for my parents, but no sound escaped my lips. Paralyzed by fear, I hid under my blankets, hoping he would vanish like a bad dream. But the boy's presence persisted and he continued to watch me throughout the night. Desperate to make sense of the haunting figure, I confided in my parents the next morning. I told them about the boy in the water, about the crystal and about his visit to my room that night. However, they dismissed it as an overactive imagination and the result, too many scary stories told by the beach bonfire. Despite my parents' reassurances, I couldn't shake off the feeling that the boy was real and needed help. There was something about him that seemed tormented trapped in an unknown limbo between the worlds of the living and the dead i couldn't just ignore him even if it meant facing my fears head on one evening as the sun began to set i mustered the courage to return to the water armed with a small shovel and a bucket i waded into the shallows it was then that i saw his shadowy figure again not in the water but standing at the edge of the empty shoreline, gazing out at the vast expanse of the sea. Approaching slowly, I tried to communicate with him to understand what he wanted. It was a risky move, but I couldn't ignore the plea in his glowing eyes. To my surprise, he reached out and pointed towards a rocky area further down the beach. His message was clear, and I knew what I had to do. I followed the boy's guidance and began digging near the rocks. The sand was cool between my fingers as I unearthed something buried beneath. To my astonishment, a glimmering crystal emerged from the depths. The moment the crystal was free from its sandy prison, the boy's form seemed to waver, as if he was dissipating. He just managed a faint smile before vanishing completely. It was now dark and I hurried back into the hotel before my parents noticed I was gone. The next morning, news of a missing boy spread like wildfire across the resort. As my parents discussed the heartbreaking story, I couldn't help but feel a deep sense of loss and sadness for the boy I had encountered, knowing he was dead. In the years that followed, I kept the crystal he had led me to as a memento And though I never saw the boy again, I believed that he had found some semblance of peace by leading me to the hidden treasure that had bound him to the earthly realm. My family continued to visit the beach resort every summer and I, too, returned to the water. However, I was never afraid of the ocean again. Instead, I felt a strange connection to its depths as if a part of the mysterious boy's spirit lingered there, grateful for the kindness and understanding I had shown him. It felt like I was being watched out for, and I always remained respectful of the water. Are you afraid of going into the ocean? Do you ever wonder about all the creatures, dead and alive, that are lurking beneath your feet? In our final story, join my co-host, Stephanie, as she tells the tale of the Japanese Obon Festival, now animated and over on youtube.com snarled.
1: Japan's spooky holiday Obon Festival creeps up right in the heat of summer. They say you can beat the sizzle of those hot summer nights by cooling off with shivers down your spine. Lots of folks chase that icy thrill, wandering through the graveyards But be warned, you might do more than cool down. You might actually be scared to death." The Ubon Festival of the Spirits was coming to a close as the sun had set. The moon shone on Mika and the other teens as they performed a traditional dance to honor their ancestors, who were believed to return to visit their living relatives during this time. As they danced down the street lit up by the lanterns, their matching yukatas shimmered in the moonlight, catching the attention of the audience. When the parade ended, Mika's sister took her hand and said, it's time to go home and celebrate with the family. But Mika shook her head. She had other plans. She told her sister to head home without her and to tell her parents that she would be home soon. Her sister was rather upset because she had wanted to spend more time with her and began to ask her one more time to come with her. But despite the protest, Mika was stern about having other plans. Alone now, Mika glanced around before she slipped off her yukata to reveal a cute modern dress. She made her way over to a group of teens who were hanging out after the parade. She saw Ren, the hottest guy in school, and his two friends. In addition to their bad behavior, they were frequently suspended from school. Well, well, here you are, Ren grinned. I thought you weren't gonna show. Mika's heart raised at his attention, but her expression turned to concern when Ren announced that they were heading to the graveyard to summon ghosts. Having celebrated Ubon, the festival for spirits, on the same night, it was believed they should not disturb or offend the spirits in any way. She didn't like the idea, but she liked Ren more. She couldn't back down, otherwise, who knows when she would have the opportunity to show off to him. They arrived at the old, eerie graveyard. It was completely empty, no one else daring to offend the dead. As they walked around, they saw food and gifts left over by loved ones during the festival. Ren playfully climbed a tombstone and jumped from one to the other. Meanwhile, Mika gulped, knowing how disrespectful this was. Stay cool, she told herself. As if jumping around playfully wasn't bad enough, Ren suggested they carve their names into a headstone to leave their mark. Mika knew it was wrong, but she felt compelled to prove herself to Ren and the others. She cautiously took the pocket knife Ren whipped out, trying to etch her name as lightly as possible, thinking to herself, okay, maybe if I do this one thing, it won't be as bad to the spirits. And all of a sudden, a cold breeze surrounded them, and a creepy vibe took over the graveyard. A march of restless and annoyed spirits appeared glowing with an eerie light. Panic struck Mika and the others, and they attempted to get out of there. But each time they managed to break free, they were dragged back into the graveyard by a supernatural force. While the angry spirits had Ren's body pinned to the ground, his two friends managed to get away, leaving Ren behind, screaming in fear. Mika knew she had to act fast as she hurried over to the gate. She had behaved terribly this far. And it wasn't like her. She let her need to impress Ren, cloud her judgment. She reached to the edge of the gate, then turned back to try to rescue Ren. But the spirit's grip on him was too strong. She could do nothing as she watched him slowly being strangled. Desperation surged within her as she became overpowered and was slowly dragged by these invisible hands over towards Ren. Then, suddenly, in the distance, she saw her little sister outside the gates. No! Mika screamed, trying to warn her sister to stay away from the evil spirits. As if a garden angel had heard her plea, her grandmother, her sobo, appeared at the edge of the graveyard. Her Sobo was a wise woman deeply connected to and familiar with the ways of the afterlife. She calmly approached them and began chanting ancient incantations. The spirits let go of Mika for a moment and she was able to escape. With tears in her eyes, she reached out to save Ren, but it was too late. The spirits had claimed him for their own. Mika's Sobo continued her ritual, soothing the enraged ancestors and allowing them to return to their resting place. The graveyard gradually fell silent, and soon the only sound that remained was Mika's sobs. Mika's sister had followed her that night, and when she saw the teens heading into the graveyard, she bolted to tell her sobo that Mika needed her help. In the aftermath of the night, Mika found herself forever changed. She performed every year with her dance group in the Obon Festival, and as they swayed, and twirled, they felt the presence of their ancestors watching over them, guiding their steps in an internal dance that bridged the gap between the living and the dead. Most would find this peaceful, but remember when Mika saw an experience was far from normal. She is still traumatized by the screams and horror on that awful night. She suddenly realized the value of the age-old traditions and rituals going forward. But she wished more than ever, it did not come at the price with a human life. This week's podcast
0: stories were edited by Sarah Lukasiewicz, Janine Pipe, and Stephanie Strange. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Irma Richardson. Produced by Anna Villalavos. Executive produced by Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sindalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, Join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends, sweet screams. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take.